When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. More great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, welcome back to the Masterclass, the number one match. I'm Hedro Ripani, I'm your host as ever. Today I'm joined by Rob as always, Rob Blanchette, uh, you know, the Match Night journalist and obviously a good friend of mine and he's going to talk to us about what has been going on. Rob, look, we had an episode against Newcastle where you went in pretty hard to the team. You were unhappy and I think a lot of people were very surprised. We're sitting here a couple of games later now. Really, really... Well, shocking performance yesterday for Manchester United, uh, coupled with, you know, three games now out of four that we've lost in all competitions. We're sitting here and look, as a football journalist, and let's take the emotion out as a fan, but as a football journalist, from what you're seeing right now at Manchester United, should there be any concern? And should there be valid questions about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and how he is managing this team? Okay, if I was looking at a club that wasn't Manchester United and wasn't a club that I support, would I be concerned just looking at it from a football aspect? The answer to that is yes. Now, obviously, I've seen a lot of the content made in the last 24 hours. There's lots of fan channels jumping on the Ollie Out bandwagon. There's obviously also a contingent of people on social media who are very Ollie in. But what I'll say is that this show is not Ollie Out and it isn't Ollie in. This is Ollie Sort It Out because. The responsibility of this manager is to make sure that the team plays good football, but also is tactically set up, is aware and knows what its job is for every match, whether that be the Premier League, the League Cup, whether that be the Champions League. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's job is to make sure these things roll like clockwork. And you almost have to like not notice him, not notice his tactics, not notice what he says. He's quite a demure bloke anyway in public. So am I concerned? Yes, I am concerned because I don't think we've seen a good performance since Leeds. You know, they beat Leeds United 5-1. Uh, it was a good performance in terms of the result. That wasn't perfect, but, it, you know, if you win 5-1, no one's complaining. And United have won game since then. Obviously, I can already see in our comments here, people saying, you know, we're only a point off the top. That's all very true. But what I will say is this, is that the league just the league, ta- the league table does not matter at this point in the season. What matters is accumulating results, but also improving your performances. What we're seeing is that United were doing okay with their results, 
But when you see the bad stuff, that makes you worry that performances will go on the decline. And here we are now eight games into a season and the decline is continuing game by game by game. So when we do our pre-production for this show, just so it's a lot of you guys know, me and Haydar talk about all the facts of what's going to happen and what we want to talk about and why we want to talk about it in a certain way that we do. And when we constructed this show, it's quite clear that there are tactical problems going on at Manchester United. So we're going to address them today because the truth of the matter is that if Ole does not sort it out, hashtag, then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will not be at Manchester United very long. It doesn't matter what goal he scored in 99. It doesn't matter what contract he's on. It doesn't matter if the Glazers like him or do not like him. These performances are septic. They're getting worse. He's got a fantastic squad compared to what he's had over the years. And what we're seeing is that the communication is getting worse. The performances are getting worse. And Manchester United, unfortunately, are getting worse. I think that's a great point. You know, we have got a comment here saying, you know, we are, you know, one point up the top. We're still in contention. But it's it's the performances that are an issue. As you said, Rob, we're declining as the games go on. And I'm just going to talk to you guys about what the schedule is today so you understand, you know, what we're going to be talking about. This is not Oli in, Oli out. I don't want to have that discussion. It's just that... We want Oli to be better. We want the team to be better. There's a lot of quality in the squad. Uh, there's things that aren't working. So we are going to talk about the game. We're going to talk about what's went, what's going wrong for Manchester United. We're going to talk about Bruno and Ronaldo. Uh, we're going to talk about Ronaldo specifically today in terms of you know what his arrival has done for the attack. We're going to talk about Maguire's regression next to Varane as well. Uh, we'll talk about tempo issues. McFred's scapegoatism as well. That's something that we're seeing on Twitter. You know, This isn't a simple fix of buying a defensive midfielder and suddenly we're better because that's not what uh, we're seeing at the moment. We'll talk about um, you know options for Oli, in-game tactics, and then we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about Zidane and Conte at the end, and we'll just go through some of their statistics because they're the two names that are in the media. Again, this isn't Oli in or Oli out, Rob. This is Oli do better, Oli sort it out. So, Rob, let's start with the game, and I'm going to get up the who scored graphic here. So, um, look, I think the selection was pretty straightforward. We went four-two-three-one. I think we all, almost went to a four-two-two. Uh, two at times with uh, Bruno um, and Pogba, you know, operating more sort of as on the left and the right hand side. But centrally, we had Greenwood push up to go centrally next to Ronaldo. But looking over here, what are your initial thoughts? I thought the defence, we saw Luke Shaw go out off injured. We saw Maguire didn't have a great game as well. United had some real issues at the back. And there were three times where Villa had their three best chances where it came from defensive mistakes. Really, you had the Shaw, Shaw mistake, the lapse in concentration. You had Maguire's back pass. And, uh, you know, you had, uh, I believe there was a, there was another mistake. I can't remember which one it was. But all in all, you know, it was disjointed. Uh, United played into Villa's sort of game plan of wanting to keep it open. We didn't keep it tight. And unfortunately, Manchester United lost. And with Bruno's miss, that would have papered over the cracks. It was just not a good performance. And it's not just this week that's been a problem. It's been the last three, four games where United have just not been up to scratch in terms of performances. And, and they're getting what they deserve, to be honest, Rob. They are. And what we're seeing is that we're seeing issues that are both historical in some points and also new. And historical ones we've talked about until we're blue in the face. It's stuff that we've talked about going the last season and why United maybe hiccup at the wrong time or why they stutter. And then we're talking about new issues like chemistry issues between potentially in the new signings, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo. How does Ronaldo fit with those three guys that are behind him there? So this is not about are these players any good? Because they are good. We know they're good. It's about what are United doing? What's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doing with his tactics to modify the team to help them be better and to help them win games? 
so there's t that's twofold. One of them is the how you set up, and the second one is in-game management. And what we're seeing is that the setup's not very different to what we know. We know 4-2-3-1. We know that's what Ole likes to do. But the in-game management is so erratic and sometimes either way too slow in how Ole executes ideas, or it's the opposite. He's kind of feels like he's rushing into stuff and doing it within a minute's thought. So when you look at the game yesterday, and we'll start off with yesterday's game, because obviously this is what this masterclass is, is initially about. Obviously, we're going to go into a lot more things than just this match. With the setup there with 4-2-3-1, Aston Villa came along and said, we're going to play a low block. Well, lo and behold, what a surprise that is. A team comes to Old Trafford and plays a low block. Three at the back, five in front, two at the top. Obviously, that five dropping very, very deep, making it difficult for Manchester United to operate. Now, we know that Man United have had problems over many, many years with playing the low block. We've played counter-attack for many years to kind of discourage teams to do that, to get them to come on to us. But when you've got Ronaldo up top and you've got someone like Bruno Fernandes in there, you're not going to have a system that only lets you play counter-attack. You're going to have to play some actual football. So that's down to the players. But you have to help the players. You have to find systems that make them tick. And this Manchester United system is incredibly stagnant. The back four have regressed for me. I think, you know, you said it at the top of the show, don't want to kind of give our cards away too early, but Harry Maguire has regressed in terms of his ball carrying, 100%. I think the fullbacks are suffering a little bit. I think Wan-Bissaka is, is in a world of pain at times. You know, he doesn't really know whether it's a stick or twist. Uh, and then you look at that front four, Pogba, Fernandes, Greenwood and Ronaldo. On paper, that's probably one of the best front fours in the world. But tell you what, if you put them on my local park here, they wouldn't be able to find each other at all because they just haven't got their spacing correct. They look like strangers and they've all got their own little game plan in their heads about what they want to do. So it's up to Ole to debunk it. It's up to Ole to get in these players' heads and find a system that works. Um, we will also talk about McFred. Everyone wants to talk about McFred every time Man United fail. I watched that game yesterday. They weren't fantastic, Fred and McTominay. But you know what? Being in the stadium and watching their movement, at some points, they were the only two fighting against McGinn in the middle there. They were the only two actually really trying to win the ball back for the guys that are supposed to win you the football match. So I didn't have a problem with the double pivot yesterday. But you can see from the shape of the game, nothing that we don't know, but still plenty game to game to game to game to game to game and across the eight games of the season that have become problematic and are now turning into defeats. Three defeats in the last eight, or even worse, three in the last four, is not where we where we want to be, and it's not where we can be if we want to win trophies. Yeah, it's, uh, it's worrying form, Rob, to be honest with you. But when I have a look at uh, something I do want to pick up on, though, is I want to talk about Mason, because Mason's had a fantastic start to the season, and Mason's all-round game has improved tenfold. You know, he's very good in terms of... Uh, obviously, we know what he can do in terms of his goal scoring. I think his, him in the build-up, he's much better. He's understanding, you know, when to give and when not to. My biggest issue yesterday, though, was Rob. That every time he got the ball at the end, edge of the box, he went and went and had tried to have a shot. And that was a problem for me, Rob, because, you know, every single time... We need to put the ball in the box a little bit more. You've got Ronaldo in the box. And my issue is that I'm having a look at this. I'm going to transition now into Ronaldo. Is that Ronaldo's come in and he's going to score you goals left, right and centre. That's what he'll do if you give him service. But since Ronaldo has come in, Manchester United are, one, either looking to just feed him, or two, everything is sort of breaking down in the final third. Now, let's talk about that a little bit because 
United have got one of the best goal scorers in the world, one of the, one of the greatest players of all time in their team. Why is it that the attacks are actually looking more one-dimensional than it did when he wasn't here last season? You have to ask Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that. So, like, you just talked there about Mason. You know, have we not spent years telling Mason Greenwood to get the ball in and around the box and shoot? Is that not what we've developed? Is that not the character that we've put in there to say, Mason, if you miss, doesn't matter because you're so good, you'll hit the target? Now, Mason had the best chances yesterday, there's no doubt about it. And there was one point where he should have passed the ball to Bruno, he was on the left. But if I'm Mason Greenwood, I'm shooting. That's it. That's his job. His job is to score goals. His job is also to be part of the attack in a rounded sense. But this is why we are now asking these questions of Ole. Because Ole's got to find a system in that front four that works for everyone. And that isn't happening. We've, it's like we've got four individual ballers in an NBA team, yeah? And, and like a little bit of defence behind it. Or, you know, you've got McFred and McTominay running around trying to win back the ball for these four at the top. And then when they get the ball, there's no chemistry there. So you have to ask yourself, well, what are they doing in training? So it's not very difficult if you're Mason Greenwood or Paul Pogba to look up and see the greatest goal scorer of all time in front of you and think, I'm going to pass him the ball. But none of that is really happening. United are looking for Ronaldo without looking for Ronaldo. And that is a problem because it creates a disconnect. So those three behind, and I think that Bruno's a big part of this. Bruno's playing more as a number 10. He's kind of slipping into number eight roles at times. So like, you know, the 4-2-3-1 there that we talk about all the time. United are trying to transition into 4-3-3. You see it. So Bruno will drop into the eight role. Fred and McTominay will push up quite high. The defence will then push up behind them so it's more compact. And then it's essentially 4-3-3. And United do that, you know, stylistically with every 10 minutes in a match. Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that they're clearly practising. But you know what, Ada? It isn't working. It's not working anywhere near like it should. It isn't ticking. So like you just said there about Ronaldo, you know, how do you get the most out of Ronaldo? Well, what you do is you get him one-on-one -on -one opportunities in the box. That's what you do. The three behind him, Pogba, Fernandes and Greenwood, almost need to be phone number 10s, all three of them. They need to come narrow and play balls through the channel, two feet in front of Ronaldo so Ronaldo can take one touch and pop it. And if he gets one touch in the box, he's probably going to hit the target. We know this. But what is Ole telling these boys? But Rob, because this is it's so mixed up. Interject, because you've said you, I, I, you're bang on with that when you're playing with Ronaldo up top. But you've you've said earlier on that you know we've asked Mason to get his head up and shoot when he gets the ball in Gaderas. But this is where this is where it's a coaching point, Rob, because he's yeah. obviously been told to do that, hasn't he, for for the last year or so, and now you're telling him to do to pass it to Ronaldo. So so what is going on? This is a coaching point because it's breaking down. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to bring up something because I hate this word patterns of play and all the vibes and all this rubbish that you see on Twitter. But because most of the time people don't understand what patterns of play is. United have got a system, the 4-2-3-1, and they have a, a way that they want to play. But when it does come to the final third, Rob, right now, as it stands, we are playing on instinct rather than we're playing on, right, this is how we've been coached to, to play in the final third. And a lot of that has come because of Ronaldo's coming. I'm not blaming Ronaldo because Oli has to find a way to get the most out of Ronaldo. And right now, as it stands, we're not doing that. No, we're not. And I think when you talk about Mason, you know, how long have we been telling Mason Greenwood to shoot? Since he was 12, 
you know, not not last year, not in the last two years, since he was 12, we've been developing this boy to be a striker or to be a wide forward that scores goals and gets the ball in the correct areas in the channel because that is what modern football is about. So I don't ma- I don't blame Mason at all yesterday for taking those chances because, do you know what, if he, if he hits every one of them right, he gets a hat-trick yesterday. And yeah. we're sat here today talking about how Mason Greenwood saved Manchester United against a very average Aston Villa team at home when he's got Ronaldo and Pogba and Fernandez next to him. We're talking about Mason. So I've got no issues with Mason Greenwood. I think Mason Greenwood should carry on doing what he's doing. There should be a time now and then that he should pass the ball more. But do you know what, Haydar? It's almost like Manchester United need a £75 million creator on the right-hand side, doesn't it? It feels like yeah, that, doesn't know, it? You, you, so, so you what's going I, on there? Yeah. So you know this, this is the issue. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was, what I said yesterday was that yesterday I was crying out for someone like uh, Jane Sancho. You know, I needed someone who uh, could unlock the fence, someone that had good ball retention in the final third. And um, one, one puzzling thing for me was that we didn't have someone that could do that. We had Mason on the pitch, we had Ronaldo, and we brought Cavani on. And that yeah. was, for me, that was puzzling. That was so puzzling because you brought on a striker that can that put the ball into net with Cavani, but who's gonna, who was going to feed him? And that's what I found a bit puzzling. I mean, there's a question here, Rob, but I just want to bring it up saying, you know, Paul Linton saying we don't have, a pat- don't have patterns of play. Is that an agenda or is that correct? We have a very rigid pattern play. So 4-2-3-1, as I've just explained there, stylistically, it's what Ole likes to do. But this season, certainly with the players that we've brought in, they are going into a more of a 4-3-3 shape on the front foot. So it's not a case of... Um, of United starting with the 4-3-3 in a way that, say, Liverpool would going back over the last few years, but they are transitioning. So it's protecting the back four with Fred and McTominay. It's part of their job. And then it's getting that ball, that five or ten-yard ball into Fernandez, and then Fernandez turning and finding one of those three in front of him. So that becomes the 4-3-3 shape. So it, it's not it's not a rigid pattern, but you can see it is not well coached. This is the issue. So if Bruno Fernandes is dropping into the pocket and turning and then seeing Ronaldo in front of him, what can Bruno Fernandes do? He's got to play a Hollywood ball. He's got, he's got to play a perfect 30-yard ball through the channel to allow Ronaldo to run. Now, that can happen. Bruno can do that. But as I explained in last week's Masterclass, when you just resort to the Hollywood style of football, it only works once or twice out of 10. So yesterday, United did it 10 times. It didn't work once. Zero. And that's what can happen. So United need to play some more simple football. So you need that if Fernandez is dropping deeper, you need to see that Pogba drops with him and then actually play, say, one-two to get up the pitch to get closer to Ronaldo. Or you need to see that then that Greenwood comes a little bit more narrow and that you have Wambasaka overlapping, which then pulls the defence apart, and then you've got more holes to work around. So United are not doing any of these things. They're kind of it's all like you just said there about the whole vibes thing that people on Twitter go on about. And and it is trying to it's trying to execute tactics through hot air that's all it is it's like we have an idea of what we want to do we just don't really know how we're going to do it and you see this i watched liverpool yesterday at brentford and after the game after obviously getting back from old trafford and even though that game was three all and brentford had chances to win it liverpool looked sensational with the ball at their feet yeah and that was a game that they conceded three goals against three goals against a brentford side Man United have got nowhere near that level of play yet that I've seen out of Liverpool at their best this season and Man City at their best. So that worries me. Yeah, so Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea lose yesterday, right? They lose one nil at home, yeah, to, to a very good City team. But you lose that game. That obviously claws back the points totals that you want. 
But you look at Man United, and it's literally been eight games and seven games of consistent problems of the same problem. So it's not like a different problem every week, Haydar. It is the same problem. So how do you solve that? Well, you could solve that in that game yesterday by not bringing on Cavani with nine minutes to go when you're not creating anything. You could sit Cavani on his backside and you could say to Jaden, I need you to go and win me the game. You can yeah. say to Jesse Lingard, you're on form, go and win me the game. You could say to Donny van der Beek, you know what, boy, you've sat on your backside long enough, go and win me the game. So these are all things that Ole can decide, but he's opting not to do it. So and when we talk about in-game management, yeah, of course. Because you brought up you brought up a really good point there, and it's made me think that with Ronaldo, right? So you brought in Cristiano Ronaldo, a huge, huge character, Rob, someone that will want to play every single game. Yeah, there are going to be opportunities and times, Rob, where where actually taking Ronaldo off is more beneficial for the team. Maybe you want a bit more. You maybe want, for, for example, you want Cavani up there, who's going to be a bit more traditional and play off, off the last man. Maybe you want Martial in there. I'm just I'm just throwing names in there. You know that who will uh will be a bit more sort of uh, busy and maybe move around a bit more. United have options. Is there a fear that, you know, Ronaldo is going to play every single week, that Oli's going to think, you know, maybe I'm not going to take him off, even if it's for the benefit of the team in that specific game or scenario? Yes. And, and this is why I said when we signed Ronaldo, it wasn't a negative. But I said, you know, if you sign Cristiano Ronaldo, it doesn't fix all the other bits that you're not doing particularly well before. So United get come second in the league last year. What, what are you looking for? You're looking for a goal scorer that gets you more goals. But you have to fix the creation issue. So what do you do? You buy Jaden Sancho. So that's a good start. There you go. You get Jesse Lingard back from West Ham. That's another good start. You know, you've got Donny van der Beek. You put him in the gym for two months and you say, Donny, get better. So these things are all good. What I will say is this. Uh, I don't think Ronaldo played badly yesterday. But if Martial hadn't put that performance in, he would have got pulled after an hour. So the logic tells you that if you want to pull your striker because you need something up there, it should have been Ronaldo off yesterday and Cavani on in that moment. Now, Ole only had one substitute because obviously the, the injuries. So you can kind of take that as a reason to why he didn't make more changes. Yeah, that, that we, needs to be taken into consideration. Tonight. It does. But we are seeing that Ole's in-game management overall has not been good. So when you're trying to win a game against a low-block Aston Villa team who are pretty average themselves, but probably did have the, the best chances. And they had the best chances because of Manchester United's play, not because of Aston Villa's play. If you're trying to win that game, I don't think the cleverest thing is to bring on Cavani, who's not played a minute yet this season, with nine minutes to go. I think that ends up being almost like a populist choice. It's like saying to the fans, I'm going to give you what you want. you got Cavani on the pitch, you got Ronaldo on the pitch, you got Bruno on the pitch. When those nine minutes, United looked as useless as they had done in the other 81. It would have probably made more sense to me with 20 minutes to go to say, right, I'm going to turn the screw on on, um, on this Aston Villa team. And Jesse's been playing well. I'm going to bring him into one of the wide positions. Do you know what, Mason? You've run your course today. Maybe you're coming off now. You've had your 70 minutes. Come on. And do you know what? I bought this lad from Bruce Dortmund who's pretty good. So I need to give him a little bit of a go. So if I want to create things for my star striker, the greatest striker of all time, then maybe I should put some creativity on the pitch. So Someone these are Ole's. Him, yeah. so this is on Ole. This is why we, we talk about Ole. And you might have like Ole in people being upset about talking about Ole. And then on the flip side, you've got Ole out people who can't, you know, Ole can never do any good. So when Ole makes a really good decision, it's just the same that he's not Klopp, he's not Guardiola, he's not anyone else. The fact of the matter is, is that in these eight games and the seven performances that have been below par, except for the, obviously the one at Leeds, there are tactical problems that are unfolding 
game by game by game. As you noted, you know, I got a lot of kind of uh, blowback from the Newcastle match where we won that game 4-1. I was at the game. But from what I saw, it felt wrong that tactically there were things not happening. Players were not doing basics and they were kind of losing the ball in strange areas. I often talk tactically about where a player starts on a football pitch. So which part where does he want to receive the ball? Does he want to receive it? 20 yards forward where he can affect play or is he just comfortable coming back for it you know with his back to go and try and play in the short pass and at Manchester United at the moment there are way too many players who are happy to do that play the easy ball backwards but they're not playing the simple ball forwards so that has to sit on the manager's lap it has to say to Ole why is that Ole's quite quick at saying in press conferences I will not discuss my tactics and that's fine. Last week, he had one or two journalists question him and he got kind of fronted up to it. And he kind of said, I don't want to answer those. I don't need to answer them. The issue is, is that if you're playing this poorly, journalists are going to ask you hard questions. If you're playing well, journalists won't ask you those questions. So at the moment, we're putting that to Ole because we have to see progression when you've spent £410 million. Yeah, it's absolutely spot on, Rob. Look, I've got a graphic up here on the screen. If you listen to this, obviously, on Spotify, we have a graphic here of United's uh, first eight games of season. So you have the win against Leeds, which is United's best performance. We drew with Southampton. We beat Wolves, uh, quite fortunately, to be honest with you. Then we uh, beat Newcastle 4-1 as well. Then we've lost against Young Boys, as we all know. We beat West Ham in the league, lost West Ham in the EFL Cup, and we've lost to Aston Villa. Then you're looking at the games, Rob, that are coming up. You've got Everton next at home, Leicester away, Atlanta at home, Liverpool at home, Tottenham away, Atlanta away, City at home, Watford away, Villarreal away, uh, Chelsea away, and then you've got uh, Arsenal at home. And obviously, we've got Villarreal coming up as well. That is an absolutely horrific run of fixtures, Rob. And... Uh, Let's sort of talk about, um, I brought that up because I want to talk about something we spoke about last week, and that was the tempo problems. Because United, if you're looking at all these games here, barring Leeds, I would say, and we discussed the Newcastle game. To be honest, you asked pretty happy after the Newcastle game, but what you have said, you know, some of your fears have actually come come true, and we've seen that in the last four games. But especially in those last four games, Rob, maybe minus the EFL Cup game, I know we made 11 changes. I thought United's tempo was pretty good there. Looking at the West Ham game, tempo in the league tempo was off yesterday tempo non-existent Newcastle game again you know we scored four goals but tempo was a bit of an issue one of the biggest things with this United side Rob and I said this is that we don't move the ball quick enough another issue against low blocks is that you know our wing play hasn't been good enough this year so we're not overloading the wide areas as well another thing that's an issue Rob is that um, you know I feel that when you're looking at uh, the fullbacks, and we saw that when Luke Shaw came off. When Luke Shaw came off that left-hand side, the left-hand side was almost non-existent. And obviously, Dallow was out of position. This is a real problem because if Shaw's out for an extended period of time and Tellez has come in and showed that he doesn't give what Luke Shaw does, he doesn't give progression in terms of his ball carrying, he can cross quite well, but he's not a like-for-like fit. United are going to have even more issues, Rob, when it comes to the tempo, when it comes to uh, you know breaking down these low blocks because teams are just going to come and, and, and basically park, park themselves, be compact, and uh, United are going to be the ones with more possession. And then then we're in trouble because if they're going to hit us on the counter, and we've seen that before, before the West Ham game or after the West Ham game in the league, we did discuss and we said that Manchester United have been counterattacked more on more than any other side in the league. It is, it's actually quite worrying when you're looking at the fixtures coming up that if we cannot you know, stop this slump in performances, there could be a couple more losses down the, well, down the line. Th- yeah, this is why when you play your first eight games of the season and everyone is fit, you've got to find a way to become better every match 
So if you get to a point where you hit a brick wall because you lose one or two players, that you're then ready to go. That the, the squad's been rotated. There's fitness there. That there's more sharpness, and that everyone is happy with their roles. But what we're seeing there, you said with the games that we can see on the left of our screen, is that after the Leeds match, you know, it was a draw, win, win, loss, win. That's okay. But the issue there is that those performances started to slide massively from Southampton. Yeah, so the 1-1 at Southampton wasn't great. The 1-0 win at Wolves was not great. You said you were happy about the Newcastle game. I wasn't, but you win that game, so it doesn't matter. No one cares. No one loses any sleep. But then the Young Boys game was a disaster. You get away with one at West Ham. Then you don't get away with it against West Ham at home. And then you play Aston Villa, and that slide then becomes the big kind of defeat that punches you in the face. So when you look at the, the fixtures to come, you know, it just didn't look at it in blocks. You don't need to look at it in this kind of long. We've got up there, what, the next, what's it, 11 games or so you've got up there? But just look at it in kind of three-game blocks. Everton, Leicester, Atalanta. It's a horrible little block, three blocks. You've got to do something in that three. After that, it's Liverpool, Tottenham, Atalanta. Even worse. Then the next three, City, Watford and Villarreal. And then you cap it off with Chelsea and Arsenal. That run of games can get you sacked, right? So if you're not playing well up in your first eight games of the season, you go into those games, and if you fail for whatever reason, you might have injuries, you might not be playing well, but if you can't put your tactics together, all of those teams who are very good are going to spank you and hurt you. So that's 11 games that United need to manage. Now, the irony of all of this, Haydar, is that I think United play better against better teams. So yeah, quite the issue there. So, you know, you play, you play your teams that are not particularly good, they play a low block against you. They make you look silly. You can't sort it out. You lose the match. You draw the match. Performances look bad. It will be ironic that United will play Everton at home next week and maybe play a little bit better. Then go to Leicester and wallop Leicester, who are not in particularly good form themselves. And then you've got Atalanta, Liverpool, Tottenham. If you win those three games, you're flying again, aren't you? You're back to where maybe we wanted to be at the start of the season. So none of this is irretrievable. But our job on this show is to talk tactics. It's not to talk just about blue sky. It's not just to talk about what the potential is. The potential of this squad is to win titles. We know this. We're trying to look at factual information that we're seeing unfold in front of us. I just to hear, obviously, in the comments, uh, someone's put here, you know, it's Carl Anker who asked about tactic questions. Yeah, in we, the press had, we conference had a anymore. Off, off there, and, didn't we, about this? And, that, yeah. and, and it says that he's obviously been removed from the press conferences and that is bad. And yes, it is bad. That's 100% bad because you cannot just turn away from these questions. And the reason why we wanted to do this show is that we never, like a year ago when we talked about it and actually started doing the masterclass, it was because these questions were not being asked we weren't asking the manager the hard questions even going back into the Mourinho era people were just going well it's Mourinho he's a genius he's a god so he's going to sort it out isn't he well no he didn't it got it got worse and it got bad and it got so bad that even giving him a five-year contract didn't help and he was gone you know bullet to the head and it's finished so I think Ole is tap dancing with a really bad schedule now this schedule is not nice I, if I'm him I'm looking at those games and I'm worried and I'm thinking I've got injuries now. I'm going to have to somehow rely on Tellers and Delo. Delo came on yesterday. I didn't think it was particularly good. There was one moment, and I'll talk as a fan here for just one second, that towards the end of the game, uh, Edison Cavani had the ball on the left and Delo played it to him. And I was screaming at Jogo to just overlap him. That's what I was screaming, overlap, overlap, overlap. And he got his head up. He saw where Cavani was. And rather than overlap, 
he ran 20 yards backwards to cover his position. And Cavani was then obviously isolated and lost the ball. And I was like going mad because in that moment where you're trying to win a game or you're trying to get back in a game, because I think it might have even been when Villa had scored, why is your fullback not overlapping? So there are lots of these things that I think come down to, you know, a manager talking in a player's ear and saying what you can and can't do. Because in that moment, Delo thought, I need to cover. He didn't think about overlapping. Luke Shaw might have just done it because Luke Shaw just says, I'm Luke Shaw, I've got to go and do it, I've got to overlap. So these are lots of these little nuances that we're picking up on that you see in the stadium that maybe you don't know it's on TV. And I think when you look at these big games coming up, United are almost going to have to be perfect, Haydar. They're going to have to be eight and nine out of tens. And I would say at the moment, the performances for me are maybe about three or fours. And you might be able to beat Newcastle 4-1 with a 4 out of 10 or a 5 out of 10. I'll tell you what, you're not beating any of those teams coming up with a 5 out of 10. You might beat Watford. Yeah, you might nick something at Villarreal. But tell you what, Chelsea, even Arsenal, Tottenham, they're all going to hurt you if you do not play to your potential and show that you're a championship uh, contending team. Yeah, well said, Rob. Rob, I want to bring up, because we let's talk about, we've spoken a little bit about Oli's in-game management, but there's a comment here. And I think this, this for me, and this is not to have a go at you, mac and cheese, like I understand your points, but this is where a lot of it stems for me, Rob. It's this, the, the binary nature of people's opinions. Or for example, like we spoke about Carl Anker and Carl, obviously, I didn't know that Carl wasn't allowed into the into the press conferences that's that's really shocked me actually and that's that that completely goes against the whole freedom of speech and all that sort of stuff but you know this this comment here saying you know there's always talk about ollie's in-game management he's made good ones but everyone ignores it that's not true because this is this is a thing that people think that if you're criticizing ollie or you're criticizing something that he's done it's an attack on him as a person the other way we've already spoken about it with the binary opinions you know of people that want him out that can't give him any credit you know at the end of the day, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has done some fantastic things for Manchester United in terms of rebuilding the, the, the club, rebuilding the squad. United were going towards Barcelona-esque ruin, let's be honest, with that wage bill and uh, the mess that Marino left behind. But as Manchester United manager, you are going to have more scrutiny on you and you're going to have people asking you day in, day out, you know, what are your tactics? And you've got to be at the top of the level, Rob. You've got to be at the... I'm talking the Guardiola's, the Klopp's, the, the Tuchel's of the world as a Manchester United manager. And he has to be held to that standard. And and I think the problem is at the moment, there's some people who are either too scared to criticise or there's the other other side of the coin where people are, are so aggressive and so abusive. At the end of the day, Rob, from what I'm seeing in his in-game tactics this season, last season he did well at times, but this season alone, what I'm seeing, Rob, I'm not seeing improvements. And that's a concern for me. Just to address the comment, I think yeah, I think there is a general consensus from a huge amount of Man United fans that he can't do this job. So when things go wrong, they just start banging a drum. So I I have some sympathy with that. What I'll say is this, is that this show is not about addressing those things. I'm not interested in people's opinions of whether they're pro-Ole or against Ole in the same way that at the end of the Mourinho era, I wasn't interested if people were pro-Mourinho or against Mourinho, was purely making football comment. So there are times, obviously, where it sounds harder because what you see on the pitch isn't very nice. So in that Mourinho end of that era, people were like, you're very anti-Mourinho. And I was like, well, I'm anti-bad football, so I would like him to go. And then within a month or two, he was gone. He was sacked. And I think I think the same with Ole. Is that I'm not pro-Ole, but I also do think that you can make all of these points with football terminology, you can talk like a football person. You don't need to talk like a spoilt child who's not happy that 
their dummies being thrown out the pram and you can't reach it, that you didn't get your Pochettino, that you didn't get a different kind of manager. So we're going to talk about other managers towards the end of the show. And I think that'll be quite interesting for our, our audience and our viewers because there are options for Man United. I think as it stands, Haydar, it's now about Ole proving that when we talk about in-game management, you've got to get 90% of your in-game management right. Because if you don't get 90% right, you probably will start losing games. And I think with Ole, there's been plenty of times where he's made great you know, changes, but it's worrying that United have become that team that has to go one nil down to then change stuff to then go and win matches. And that's it, the team it, Rob, we is are. That, what is that though? Is that a mentality thing? We've been speaking about this a lot because actually the mentality to come back from those defeats is absolutely fantastic. But is that a player problem? See, how, how much blame do you give to the players, to the management, you know, to the coaching staff? Because I do want to bring up as well that, you know, Oli does delegate a lot of his coaching duties to McKenna, Carrick, his coaching team. So, you know, there's something Sir Alex is. I'm not comparing Oli to Sir Alex before someone jumps on me. I'm just saying that not, you know, we look at Tuchel, Klopp and, uh, and Pep and they're all tacticians. And some fans want ta a tactician. I like a tactician as well. You know, this show would be, would be great if we could be talking about more into deep, deeper tactics and you know and that sort of thing but you know if Oli is delegating and that's what Sir Alex did and, and that's what Wenger did and that's fine if he's doing that Rob then then it's the coaching stuff but as a manager if you're in charge of that coaching team and they're not fixing those issues that are you know they're repetitive issues then it is on the manager isn't it because that's his coaching staff and they're an embodiment of him as well every manager ultimately delegates so that happens in any business structure or any football club so we do know Vole that he, he puts a lot of faith in his coaches he's assembled that coaching team and that's how he wants to go forward but let's not get away from the clear fact that if it fails and the coaching fails and tactics fail, it's on the manager. Ultimately, when Cavani comes on that football pitch yesterday with nine minutes to go, that is on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It doesn't matter if McKenna has said, boss, here's a grid system and I've shown that Cavani can get into this gap here. and all. It doesn't matter. It's up to Ole in that moment to make the right tactic. You know, nobody looks at Pep Guardiola and talks about his extensive coaches, uh, coaching staff that he has there and then say it's any of his coaches, do they? No, no one was saying, oh, you know, Mikel Arteta was the real brain at Man City. No, no one's saying that. So no one's saying, no one is saying that about Michael Carrick and no one is saying about but McKenna. And even if United had success, we would then be lording Ole. We wouldn't be all lording McKenna. So we have to be careful about how we stage these things. I think, when things are not good, managers have to come up with solutions. It's all about problem solving. And like you were just saying there, you know, is it the is it the player? Is it the manager? Or how kind of what's the mix? Well, players have to interpret a manager's direction or how they want to play the game. But the issue that I can see at the moment is that there's no direction, and that's what I could I feel that when I watch United, I see all these great players. I see they're all very skillful. They've all got. You know, there's kind of half of them have got great touches and then the other half can't control a football. And that's worrying. But then you kind of look at the direction of what they should be doing and the flow of the pitch. And there's there's some disconnect. So that has to come from the manager. It might be that Michael Carrick isn't doing his job right. It might be that McKenna's not doing his job right as coaches. It might you know, people talk about Mike Phelan. You know, what's Mike Phelan's function? Well, he's a man manager. He's there to do what he did with Fergie. So it's not on him about, you know, if a pass comes off or not but it's always on the manager because that ultimately he puts that coaching team together. He bears ultimate responsibility. And he will say that in every press conferences, he's held his hand up and gone. Yep. It's on me when we lose. And when we win, you know, I can kind of, I can take credit for stuff. Then I just think with Ole is that we, you know, what will he change to make this better? I'm not 
so sure that he will make changes at this point. Let's Quite... talk about that, Rob. Yeah. Let's, what are the options for Ole Solskjaer then for changes? I mean, look, there's a lot of issues, Rob. And people will people will go back, and we'll talk about McFred after, because I think we need to talk about the scapegoatism that goes on with them. But what can Ole Gunnar Solskjaer change? Looking at that, those runner fixtures, those awful runner fixtures, what can he change to get Manchester United back winning and getting the performances better? I think the issue is that when you buy Ronaldo, Sancho and Varane, and they are your changes then what do you do to change the changes? So that's an issue, isn't it? So you buy Ronaldo and there's a kind of consensus opinion that you can't really drop him because he is the best striker of all time. If we if we dropped him and played anti-martial in the next game in the Champions League, everyone would go ballistic, wouldn't they? Yeah, this there would be shows talking about sack Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for that one decision alone, wouldn't it? So this is part of the issue when you bring in Ronaldo. You look at Jadon Sancho, it's the flip decision isn't it is that Ole doesn't feel comfortable playing him in every match at the moment so he'll have his reasons for that as well so to answer the question what can he change he has to kind of change the in-game nuances so I want to kind of talk about those things because I think we need to talk about Bruno and Pogba together oh, no, sorry Bruno and uh, Ronaldo we need to talk about what's going on with Varane and Maguire and we need to talk kind of other parts of the football pitch the full, fullbacks as because well, Rob. they are the yeah they're That's the bits it. that Ole can tweak and change He's not going to be able to make wholesale changes, Haydar, to make this work. He's not going to suddenly say, do you know what? I'm dropping you, Cristiano. He's not going to say, oh, do you know what, Bruno? You're not playing this week. It's not going to happen. These things won't happen. So they're not worth discussing. It's kind of dead air. We could talk about it till we're blue in the face. I think what we need to look at is the partnerships on the football pitch and how Ole can impact those partnerships to get a better product out of Manchester United. Yeah, no, it's something that we, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago about these partnerships. And when you're having a look at uh, some of them as well, Rob, I mean, look, what benefits United more? We both love to see Pogba off that left-hand side because it gets him further forward. Um, you know, it gets him into dangerous areas. His creativity is fantastic. But when you're when you're looking at McFred, I'm going to talk about McFred now because I think they are unfairly scapegoated. I saw as soon as people saw their names on the team sheet, there was just the whole outcry. And I'm not sitting here and saying, Rob, that McFred are the greatest middle partnership in the world. I'm not saying they're the greatest footballers in the world. I know their deficiencies. But I think that is one area people think if Ole Gonzalez had a midfielder, suddenly everything would be okay. And I don't think that's the issue because there's so many other moving parts that aren't working. We've mentioned the, the Maguire with Varane issue. We've mentioned, I mean, look, Luke Shaw hasn't looked as progressive as he did last season, Rob. And I think that's a bit of an issue as well. We're not seeing Maguire... Um, carry the ball more progressively at the moment this season as well. And he was doing that. He's, well, he's one of the best in Europe for doing that. We have issues you know, in terms of our wing play. Jane Sancho is not getting a game at the moment. And like you said, oh, he's got reasons for that. So when I'm having a look at McFred, for me right now, they're actually the least of the issues. What I would have done, though, is if we were playing Villa like we were yesterday, you know, if it benefits the team more to have Paul Pogba in the pivot then that's what Oli's got to do as a starting point. And I think, you know, when Marcus Rashford does come back, I think he's starting straight into that the team on the left-hand side because, uh, you know, I think United have missed his directness and they have missed someone that will run channels. I think you need to put it in terms of compartments. So you just said that you want to talk about McFred. I want to talk about all of the partnerships and I want to talk about them in the correct order. So I look at it as a sliding scale. Problem one at the top and problem 10 at the bottom. Problem number one for me at the moment is the chemistry between Bruno and Ronaldo. Problem number two for me, when I look at it in a kind of wider aspect, is what's happening with Maguire and Varane. Problem three for me is the fullbacks. The fullback productivity, 
how they're getting forward, how they're kind of addressing the football and how they're actually being part of the wider game. And problem number four is the double pivot. So problem number four, you said that you want to talk about McFred. I'm going to talk about McFred fourth, because I think if we talk about them number one, that creates a false narrative. That tells everyone that this football team's problem is McFred. And I'm telling you, it isn't. And I'll tell you why it isn't. So when you go from the top, let's talk about Ronaldo and, and Bruno, first of all. We said that when Ronaldo came to the football club, one of the potential issues was that when they play together for Portugal, it doesn't work. And what do Portugal do about it? Portugal try and play Bruno as a number eight, so they play him a little bit deeper. But the connection between Ronaldo and Bruno is an issue, and it's so much of an issue that Bruno gets pulled after 60 minutes in almost every match. So you know there's a historical issue there. So Ole has to look at that and solve that. We're seeing this in almost every game, that there is a problem in the way that they set up and how they kind of play the, how they play the game together as a pairing. They're a number nine and a number 10. Now let's look at kind of the second problem. Harry Maguire last year became very, very good at progressing the ball. Very good. He used to step out, Lindelof would sit, and he would go. This year, he's got a world-class centre-back next to him, and he stopped progressing the ball. So you have to say to yourself, why have you, why have you stopped doing that? So that's, a, that's something for the manager to answer, because the manager has to tell his captain, get the ball and bring it 10 or 15 yards. Problem three, Aaron Wambasaka is way off form. And Luke Shaw's form is dipping and sliding. So we saw with Luke Shaw yesterday that probably had his worst game, but he clearly had a problem. He had an injury. You could see he was he's carrying yeah, he, something. He's, look, he's looking injured, yeah. He's looking injured. So, you know, he's, he's carrying an injury. And we just talked about Maguire there. So it's, it's quite salient to say that maybe Maguire is carrying an injury. So they both play because they want to play. They want to win football matches for United. But you can see there's issues there. So Luke Shaw wasn't getting forward. He got done twice. One where he tried to outjump the defender and they came inside and they broke. And then there was another time when the ball was fed through the, the channel and Shaw was dead. Like they were in behind and they nearly scored. So that's a problem. So they're the fullbacks of the issue. Let's talk about McFred now. McFred do what McFred do. They're double pivot. We talk every week about how they sit. One goes, one sticks. You know, we say this every week. It's the same thing. Nothing changes. And you saw yesterday that Scott McTominay is still definitely trying to get his fitness back. And McFred is doing, uh, sorry, Fred is doing the Fred things of running around a lot, addressing the ball and trying to get it off and get the ball forward. Now, neither of those two will ever be great progressive ball passers or carriers. But we have highlighted here, especially statistically, that they both kind of do their jobs. So when they're in those roles, they get the ball. And maybe a Basuma would do it better. Maybe a Neves would do it better. But they don't play for you, those footballers. So what is the point in talking about them today? You have to talk about what you've got. There's oh, well, let's talk about Donny van der Beek, Rob, then. No, I'm gonna, sorry, I'm going to add Donny to it. I'm going to add Donny to it because Donny's part of that mix. So if you played Donny van der Beek yesterday in what was against a low block, against an aggressive Aston Villa team setting up to kind of uh, spoil and setting up their midfield to kind of take the ball off you in those bad areas where you don't win so they can counter-attack, do I believe that Donny van der Beek would have done that better as a number six? Well, everyone knows I'm going to say no because that's not what he does. He's not a destructive player. He's a ball player. But I don't want my double pivot against a low block being my ball players. I want the four in front of them being the ball players and then the fullbacks. So that is like six players, Haydar. So that's not a kind of like, oh, half the team do one function and half the team do the other. But Rob, but Rob, but Rob the problem is when your fullbacks aren't doing that function, you're attacking with four players. And that, and it showed yesterday. And that's where, Rob, that's where then 
well, we've got a problem. Fundamentally, there's there's not just one section of the team is a, that is a problem. You've got the fullbacks are a problem. You've got you're talking about the midfield. I disagree with you because I think that you still need when you're up against a low block, you still need the two in the pivot to be to be progressive. That's one one area where Matic is better than Fred and McTominay. We know why Matic doesn't play week in week out though, but he is a better line breaking passer than those two. And I think you still need that from your double pivot. And for me, I don't think McFred are the biggest problem. And a lot of people in the comments and a lot of people on Twitter and YouTube are going to consistently go in on McFred. They're the issue, they're the issue. There's so many more issues to couple with the McFred yeah. not being the best that are the issues. But as we're looking at it right now, Rob, would would Donny van der Beek have made would he have been better on the ball, let's say, than Fred yesterday? Would he have been more of a, an asset against a low block? For me, yes, 100%. I think when you've got three central midfielders in there, which is what Aston Villa played yesterday, that's the low block. They come out, they come out hard, and they come and press to come and get you in the correct areas. So they sit, and then they address the ball. Donny van der Beek has showed nothing in his Manchester United career that tells me that in that system, he would have been better. Not at all. And I think that's why the manager doesn't pick him. I do not believe that Ole sits here and thinks, yeah, I'm just not going to play Donny because because I don't fancy him and I prefer McFred. I don't think he thinks that at all. I think he's thinking, I've got three, uh, I've got to play against three central midfielders. So I need two that are incredibly mobile and that can go and confront players. So unfortunately, Manchester United fans, this is why we play McFred. It's not, it's, it's out of function. So if you want a Basuma, you're going to have to wait till January. If you want a Neves, you're going to have to wait till January. For this game, you cannot change it. So I don't see anything in Donny van der Beek's game that says to me, this was the match for him to play in the double pivot. There are going to be other games where you can play Donny as a number six with a partner. That partner will probably be more likely someone like Matic. But when you look at what you needed yesterday, Haydar, it, it's all very well to roll the dice and say, oh yeah, I think Donny might have progressed the ball better. No chance. In front of him is Paul Pogba, um, uh, Mason Greenwood, Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes. And all four of them had plenty of the ball. So <laughs> the issue wasn't how the ball went from A to B to C. And, and C being the problem at the top end of the pitch. The issue wasn't B. It wasn't where what was going on in the double pivot. It's just this lovely, dreamy scenario that United fans have that don't like McFred, who want to kind of cap it on them. And you said at the top of the show, it's not really their issue. It wasn't a McFred issue yesterday. And I agree with that. Yes, I would love to replace them eventually. But we have to plan for the next game, Haydar. We can't plan for six months' time. We have to plan for what happens next. And bringing, say, Donny into the team, for the Champions League game, is that the right thing to do? Well, it depends if if uh, if we're going to see another low block against Manchester United. I don't believe that Donny van der Beek is the answer. We, we are to low against Villarreal, he's not, Rob. We played them he's, before. That's what he's saying. not a baller, right? Look, Donny van der Beek is not a baller in the sense that he can find passes from open play. He's really good in one-touch football. He's really good at kind of becoming the eight, moving into the ten. He can do that. If he's going to play the six... He has to play against functional Premier League teams yeah, that are not going to press. So he's got space. Yesterday, that midfield free and McGinn pushing hard on the midfielders. was, And most of the game was about that confrontation. They're three against R2. And then Bruno was coming in there. So it's like a 4-3-3 three, three, and those three kind of pressing and pushing against each other. And what happened? Villa were the better team. Villa got the ball more in the correct areas and Villa had the better chances. But Villa didn't have the most possession. Villa didn't have kind of the the kind of acute um area in the, in the correct areas of the pitch they just they just got those chances because of what Manchester United were doing so for me it wasn't really about 
um, McFred yesterday, they were like the fourth problem. We need to talk about Ronaldo and Bruno. You know, this is a conversation that people are not having. You know, Ronaldo's come to the club. Everyone's really hot. You've all gone and bought his number seven shirt and you feel great. Well, it is a problem. It might be a problem going forward. You look at kind of that second one when Maguire was really good last season. So much show, you know, he gets into the England set up as like one of the best players at the Euros. You kind of see in the form that we want to see from a captain. He's lost that. So we have to ask why that is. The fullbacks, you know, Aaron Wambasaka is going backwards in droves. He had one good moment yesterday where he ran yeah. through the team. Yeah. And and I watched his warm-up, because again, I'm in the ground two hours before. I watched his warm-up and the whole team, when they were when they were doing their warm-ups, had the coaches with them. The coaches were practicing simple five and ten yard balls with him on his own, away from the team. Yeah. So that's a problem for me. I look at that and I go. Uh, that, hmm, that's not a good there's look. There's an Rob. issue there. That's, no, it's not a good look. It's not a really good, look. not good look. So I'm a football journalist. And I look at stuff like that. So I looked at that and I thought to myself, that's not good because they're obviously saying there's an issue here and we need to work with it. So the rest of you go and warm up over there. And Aaron, you come over here because we need to practice your 10-yard passing. So they go and do that. And Aaron still can't pass the ball in the game. So that's an issue. Those three things and those pairings, Ronaldo, Bruno, the centre-backs and the full-backs, they are why Man United are having problems. The Rob, double pivot is not why we're having problems. That's your whole team, Rob. That's your whole team from back It's your to whole front. team. It's your whole team. So this is why the whole thing about blaming McTominay and Fred every week is just, it's just pointless and stupid. Because, yes, you would like to have better players in there, but you cannot buy them in when there's no transfer window open. You could do a left field and mm -hmm. say, right, someone like Medjbury, you could go, right, I'm going to bring you in and modify you. Like, you should be playing as a more attacking player, but you've got ball skills, so we'll sit you deeper and we'll do something different. We might do, say, 4-1-4-1 and do, do a different system that works. But Ole's not changing the system, is he? He's going to play 4-2-3-1. It's going to be a double pivot. So you need to make the right selection in the double pivot so the other players can do their jobs. Yeah, well said, Rob. Look, we're going to move on and we're going to talk about uh, just a couple of names that have been in the media. And I just want to reiterate for those that might not like like to see this, we're just assessing what's out there, what's been said. We're going to talk about Zidane. We're going to talk about Conte. Before we do that, though, Rob, and look, I mean, we're just looking at Zidane's graphic here and it's, it's phenomenal. We'll talk about that in a second. But are there, are there slight concerns that we're seeing maybe deja vu in terms of, you know, Jose Marino finished second, and then he didn't get the players that he wanted. He had an awful season the season after. We're not in that uh, situation at all with Oli, by the way. It's nowhere near. That was a toxic, horrible environment and situation. But uh, are there concerns, you know, Rob, that while better quality has come in, you know, the style, stylistically we haven't, uh, we haven't got better. I think you know, we've mentioned all these sort of disjointed problems within the team. They don't seem like eight games into the season. They look like they're anywhere near getting fixed. I mean, is there slight comparisons you could say in terms of not the situation, but that Manchester United have finished second and they maybe aren't, uh, maybe they are failing to kick on from where they want to be. Right, let's stop tap dancing around football questions and let's be straight about it. There were issues with Jose Mourinho. They were toxic. They were horrible. It blew up. It was the end. He was gone. There are issues with what Ole's doing at the moment. Now, Ole's had tons of praise from me and I've backed him and I still back him and I will continue to back him because I think that he can get it right. So that's one thing. But are we seeing a duplication of errors that we saw in year three with Mourinho? Well, this is effectively year three with Ole when we're looking at kind of the project. And correct, there are problems that we are seeing that happened then that happening now. 
What is the main problem? Well, with Jose Mourinho, after year two, he kind of admitted that he'd hit his ceiling, didn't he? He even said it. He went, this team coming seconds, one of my greatest achievements, all that rubbish that he talked about. And he kind of hinted that, you know, he wasn't going to get better than that. And we could see it on the pitch. It wasn't looking good. So at the end of that year two, it looked a bit weird. And then year three started and we were all kind of sat there at Old Trafford going, this ain't going to be pretty this year. This year with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there are similarities there. So we got second last year. You know, and that was a, a, an achievement in what it was, but it's not a trophy. And we all said we need to make signings and we need to see progression at the start of year three. So Ole is still the manager. He's still doing the tactics. He's still the guy. And he's got Ronaldo. He's got Varane. And he's got Sancho. And the football is worse. So this is where the comparisons kind of meet each other. And they are football comparisons. They're not about personality. They're not about Mourinho's toxicity and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's kind of blue sky thinking. This is about football results and football performances. When Jose Mourinho went, what was it, Hader? Was it November? He got sacked? Was it in yeah, November? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. So he went in November. So we are now at a stage at the end of September where we've got October and November to come. It is not beyond thought that if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer does not get it right in the next two months, that he's gone in November, right? Because that tells you in November where you want to be. If you're, if you're in a title race in November, you feel good about yourself. If you're flying in the Champions League and you're through, you feel good about yourself. But if you're out the Champions League and you're fourth, fifth, sixth or seventh, which I look at this Man United team and I kind of think, have I seen six better teams in the Premier League this year? And yeah, the it's, are... not, it's not a quality point though, Rob, because United have it's not quality so point. much quality in this squad. <laughs> So people said people said about Jose that the issue was that he didn't get Maguire. So he didn't get Maguire at the end of year two, so year three collapsed. And I said it's got nothing to do with that. It was more about his tactics. It was more about tempo. Like you mentioned that earlier on, and we should have probably kind of deep, deep, dived deeper into that because I think tempo is one reason why Man United don't look particularly good at the moment. But you look at Ole, he has got pieces now that he didn't have in the last two or three seasons. So he has to do better. The tactics have to reflect the quality of talent that you have, and they are not. So I think in football terms, we've got every right to sit here on our high horses. And as journalists, you know, I'm a football journalist. And I can say, Ole, you need to be doing better. Yes, you're only a point off the top. I think you've got the same points as Man City. But no one cares on the date of September the 26th where you are in the Premier League. People care in a month or two or three. And for me, that is the, that's going to be the crunch. Because if we get two months now, Haydar, of those games that have got to come, and they're all big games, if United cannot improve their performances, they will be losing games. And if they lose games, this manager is gone. It's as simple as Rob, that. Rob, I want to I address it because there's this, I mean, there's a comment here from Ronan saying, you know, what makes you, th firstly, what you makes you think that uh, Oli can win a trophy, major trophy. And the second one is as long as he gets top four, he's safe. There is this, there is this view, isn't there, amongst the fan base that, you know, the Glazers just won top four. He'll, if Oli gets fourth every single year, you know, he'll never, ever get sacked. You know, what is your view on that? That's been totally correct in the last two seasons. So we've seen that in terms of the rebuilding process. They went for someone with maybe less expectation, less expertise. You know, you take Mourinho, he's a Hall of Fame manager. It doesn't work. He's on a huge contract. You bin him, you get a guy who's on less contract but knows the football club a bit better. So that's been an on-rolling uh, process. Now, it's right to say that I think even in the last 10 years, that the, the Glazers' objective is to stay in the top four. But that's the minimum standard. If you come fourth, you survive for another season and you get on with it. But it doesn't mean you keep your job as a manager. It just means that the football club can roll over into the next season. But I'm telling you this, 
You buy Cristiano Ronaldo, the expectation is not to come forth. The Glazers are not going to sit there and buy Tom Brady for their NFL franchise and think anything but we want to win the NFL. So this is kind of where they think they are sports owners. So they want to win those trophies because it makes them more money. So if you win the Premier League with Cristiano Ronaldo, that picture of him holding the Premier League trophy is worth billions. Really, really is. It's worth an incredible amount of money. So that's why the Glazers have done it. That's why they've pulled the trigger. They want to sell more shirts. They want more commerce. They want to make more money. They want to protect their profits. But I tell you what, if you get forward and it's Ole who looks like he's the guy stopping that, and this is why we're talking about it, it's tactics, then he's gone. So you've got these two months now that I think are really, really important because it was the same thing that Chelsea fans and Chelsea people were saying about Frank Lampard. They were like, he will never get sacked. The team needs to get top four because they're not really in where they want to be. Um, they're buying these players. They've had a big transfer window. Havertz comes in, Werner comes in. It's kind of all looks really rosy. And then Lampard got two or three or four months with those players going through a pre-season into Christmas. And at Christmas, from being top, I think at the start of the season, they were top for about three or four or five weeks at the very start of the season. Got to January and he was gone. And he was a Chelsea legend, the greatest Chelsea player of all time, arguably. Him and, you know, a certain JT. So you look at that. So that, that's, a, that's a Chelsea question, not for me to answer. But, but that's how it is. And they didn't wait. The Glazers are as ruthless as any owner. They will look at it if they feel that their manager is holding them back and vitally that there are other managers available on the market that they can go and get. This is why I want to say, Rob. This is what this we're is going to talk about next. Yes. Yeah. This is why I want to say, because you've mentioned that, you know, at the time, obviously, Thomas Tuchel, who's a fantastic, fantastic tactician, uh, you know, he's obviously come in and, and he's harnessed that quality. And we're, look, we're looking at Zinedine Zidane here because he's one of those names that has been mentioned in the press. And uh, look, Rob, I mean, it's actually quite staggering. We all know what, what Zidane has won. And uh, you're looking here, you know, two Champions Leagues, uh, three Champions Leagues, sorry, two La Ligas, two Super Cups, two Club World Cups, two Spanish Super Cups as well. Conceded uh, only 23 goals in that 2019-20 season. I mean, look at this stat here, though, Rob. Zidane's won a trophy every 19 games. For Real Madrid, and you're looking over here. Obviously, he's got a 66.2% win percentage at uh, Real Madrid. You know, when you're having a look at all these pieces, and look, we're not sitting here and saying that. Uh, there's the biggest thing for me, Robert, is that at the end of the day, I want to see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer be successful in Manchester United. I want him to win trophies, obviously, because I want to see Man United do well. I don't have an agenda here. I'm not sitting here, Oli in, Oli out. I don't care. I just want United to do well. But at the end of the day, you know, if he isn't performing, and there is someone who is who can get more out of the squad, then I'm also game for that, Rob, because I want to see Manchester United be successful. When I'm looking at it, and we've also got Conte up here, because Conte's been mentioned as well. If you're comparing the two managers, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's done a fantastic job to build this squad, to stop the rot, and there's some really, really good players here. The transition to someone like Zidane, for the way that Zidane wants to play, and obviously he knows Ronaldo, he knows Varane, is a logical step forward, rather than to go to someone like Conte. We'll have a look at Conte in a minute. But when you're looking at Zidane and what he could offer to the club, is he an attractive option, say, if Oli does get sacked, maybe at the end of the season, let's just say this does happen. Is he an option for Manchester United? And would he get more out of this squad looking at, A, the squad that he had at Real Madrid and sort of the, the style of players, and B, with his track record? You just said end of the season. If This is not going to end at the end of the season. You know, it, it, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gets sacked if things are going wrong in the season. So if he gets to the end of the season, it means that he's achieved. He's either got... 
first or second. He maybe won a trophy. It might not be as pretty as we wanted it to be, but he survived. So then you don't change the manager. I think this is about, as I said, the November question. You get to November and you say, is this the right manager to take forward? Zidane Zidane is a, is a strange character in the sense that he's at Real Madrid. He's got a team of Galacticos and it's his kind of his job to piece together Florentino Perez's philosophy. That's kind of what it is. And Zidane over years has had lots of detractors, people kind of saying that, that maybe he's a bit more of a negative coach than people thought he would be. But you cannot take away his win record. You can't take that away at the hardest club in the world to win. Like Real Madrid, uh, you know, if you lose two games at Real Madrid, it's worse than Man United. You know, you, it's just the end of the world and people are waving white hankies. I've been in that in that stadium in the Santiago Bernabeu where people are waving white handkerchiefs and it's amazing. And they show that they want a manager sacked. You know, they show it from, we don't do that at Old Trafford. You know, yesterday Bruno missed a penalty and we cheered him off the pitch. So it's a different kind of world. I look at Zidane and I look at kind of what the pieces that Man United have at the moment. And I say to myself, does Zidane fit what Man United want to do? Well, if you decide that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is no longer your man, no longer the manager, no longer the guy to lead your project, what you were admitting is that this kind of two to three to four year cycle of trying to rebuild Manchester United in a Manchester United vein, in a Fergie vein, you know, with United people from the ground up playing attractive football, playing attacking football, that that has failed. You have to admit that. And normally football clubs do change every two to three to four years. That's how it generally works because success breeds longevity, but decline breeds the sacking. There's no doubt about it. When you look at Zidane and you look at how he plays football, he would not be playing football in the Manchester United way. He would be coming to United to win at all cost. So that's why you bring him in. You look at the players you've got and you say, hmm, Cristiano Ronaldo. Zidane knows him. Hmm, Rafael Varane, Zidane knows him. Hmm, Paul Pogba loves Zidane and was begged to play under Zidane for years. So they're your three superstars, aren't they? Your three, three of your top players, at least. That is where I think Zidane becomes attractive to Manchester United. On the flip side, Zidane, Zidane and his agent have both admitted that England doesn't really suit him. Doesn't suit him. The Premier League doesn't suit the his front, style. The front job is what he wants, really. Well, we don't know that. that That's speculation. So we, we can't put that on the table, Hayden. We don't know if he wants the France job. We, we, we don't know. We really don't. But what he would like is a really big contract. So I think that's what he would really like. And there's one team in the world that would offer him that, and that's us. So United would offer him a contract that he wouldn't even got a Real Madrid. You know, he'll get a, a, he'll get a deal that's huge. So he might be tempted to come to the Premier League. All I'm going off is actual facts of what he said and his agent in the past, that England doesn't really fit him. But that can change. But then the other guy on the table, of course, is a serial winner who's just well, won the, we, the, we do the that, Serie A. Can I, just bring up, can I just bring up two points about Zidane, you know, sort of where where I think United will struggle with him just because of the personnel and where United will excel. So when you look to Zidane, when he played, uh, you know, obviously when he was those three Champions Leagues, two very key players were his two fullbacks. We had Marcelo and we had Carvajal. Between them, they had, I think it was about 20 goal contributions. When you look at Manchester United's current fullbacks and you're looking at Wan-Bissaka, he wouldn't fit as a Zidane system. Luke Shaw probably would. And then the other thing as well, and by the way, I would be very happy with someone like Zidane. I think he'd be a really good fit. But you're also looking at the midfield. I mean, he had Casemiro, he had Isco, uh, not Isco, um, Cruz, and he had Modric. Casemiro was so keen for him. If you're looking at Man United's midfield right now, 
there, there are two key key areas for Zidane where he where he obviously built the foundations for his team. And then when you're looking at obviously the the, the flanks, you have a look at the the wide man Manchester United have. That's where Zidane would definitely definitely thrive. And then you've got Ronaldo as well. But when I'm looking at those two points as well, I think that United would have to upgrade in certain areas if they were going to bring someone in like Zidane. Well, they would. Of course they would. It's like it's, it's kind of crazy to say that if Zidane came in, that United wouldn't change anything. Of course they would. They would change it. He'd come in and he'd say, "I want two, three hundred million pound transfer kitty, and I want to buy players." So that's. I think that's a given. I don't think that's kind of a point that we can we can delve into again because it's kind of a moot point that it's not real. Do you know what I mean? That he will go and buy players if he came to the football club as any manager would. So I think that's problem problematic. Is the same way that when Tuchel went to Chelsea last season, Tuchel didn't go there with a finished article, did he? But he still won the Champions League. So it's, it is what it is. You know, if you're a serial winner, your job is to get the most out of those players and then build accordingly. So, yeah, you might see that he goes and he looks at Wan-Bissaka and he might go, don't fancy Wan-Bissaka, but, you know, he's my fullback for six months. So I'm going to get him to do one or two or three different things that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't do. And lo and behold, people are then saying Wan-Bissaka is a better player. Luke Shaw is probably the best left back in the world on form. So I don't think that Zidane looks at, would look at United's squad and think, Mm, I can't do anything with it. We've already said at the top of the show and in previous shows, this is a title winning squad. So if you go and give it to the right manager, then there's always that, that, that way of saying, you know, is there a way of being better under someone else's guise? Yeah, well said. There's a there's obviously saying don't forget Ten Hag. We're not going to talk about Ten Hag Day. He's someone that I really, really do like, and maybe we'll do a masterclass on Ten Hag Rob at some other time. We'll break down maybe a quick thirty minute video on what you know, sort of what he's done at Ajax, uh, what style of play, and you know, sort of the whole Ajax philosophy. So we can do that for you. But look, Rob, over here we've got Antonio Conte. Now I actually, and I've tweeted many times over the last week saying I wouldn't take him. But that, that's not because I don't rate him. I absolutely love Antonio Conte. I think he's one of the best managers in the world. I, I loved his passion when he came to the Premier League with Chelsea. Obviously, he won the title with Chelsea. I just don't think he's the right fit for the current squad, Rob. You know, you build the squad in one certain way, and then you're going to go and then and, and go with a manager in a completely different direction in terms of style of play. But there's no doubt about it. And this is Conte's uh, season, I believe, last uh, or time at uh, Inter Milan. And look at that. Look at that win rate. You know, you've got uh, 51 wins in 76 games. And, and on the right-hand side here of the graphic, you've got his head-to-head -head with Zidane in terms of average points per match. So you've got uh, Zidane, uh, Conte pipping Zidane um, in, that, in that respect. And uh, I just think that when you're having a look at Antonio Conte and what he offers to Manchester United, I just think it's a bit of a step back because it's a short-term option. He might deliver a title. But I just think that, you know, the, maybe the messy leaves behind after, it would just undo everything that we've done the last few years. You know, there needs to be continuity. That's how the club needs to think. And they haven't done that very well since Sir Alex, really. Mm, just breaking down kind of what you said there and, and the way you phrased it. Um, there's a little bit of the Mourinho question here going back again with Conte. So it's a stylistic question, first and foremost, and the question about winning, secondly. So... When we had Mourinho being touted for the job around the time of when he was at Real Madrid and he was leaving Real Madrid and came back and he went to Chelsea and around that period, the question was, could he play a Manchester United style of football and win? And I think most of us decided no. When you had two years of Van Gaal and Van Gaal kind of doing Van Gaal things, the question became, now Mourinho was available, that could he come to the football club and win? Well, Jose Mourinho proved very, very quickly within 12 months that, yes, he could. He went and won trophies. The football was pretty good. You know, I don't think the football was bad. It was entertaining. United were winning. They brought in Ibrahimovic. They brought in Pogba. They brought in Mkhitaryan. They brought in Bailly. 
it all kind of worked for a, a short period of time but it was a it was a limited shelf life let's put it like that yeah it was kind of a two-year shelf life in year three that it had gone off i think we look at conte you just said there that that you know short-termism and all of that i think the clubs that he's left when he left chelsea i would blame chelsea i wouldn't blame him and I think when he left Inter Milan, I would blame Inter Milan. I wouldn't blame him. I think he kind of looked at those clubs and thought, you do not match my ambition, so I'm off. So I don't think it was his fault. So I think that's where he differs with Mourinho. I think Mourinho is a kind of toxic character, and we saw that, and we hoped that when he came to Manchester United that he would change and that he would be a, a kind of person that maybe would grow into the role as a statesman. You know, we'd see the best of Mourinho, but the worst bits would kind of ebb away. And what we saw was something different. I think with Conte... He came to uh, Chelsea and the first six games, they were awful. And he set up two or three different ways to play two or three different systems. It, yeah. They were, they were really bad to the point where people are going, who is this guy? You know, this is, he's a joker. He's not, he's not going to do anything here. And then he kind of went on a, a run of, I think about 18 wins in a row or something like that. And it was quite defensive at times, but they played a style of football that meant that they won. And the goals that they scored were nice. They played some nice football. And I'm telling you this now, the Glazers felt that they could bring in Conte tomorrow and win the title this year, and it was only a short-term decision. They would do it. And I think most clubs would. See, clubs want to win and find ways to win in a in a sympathetic manner to their philosophy, but ultimately winning is all that matters. That is all that matters. Like people, you know, we can kid ourselves that clubs want to build in the right fashion and all of this. But when Liverpool brought Klopp in, they weren't thinking, oh, yeah, we're bringing you in because you're going to be the next Shankly. And, you know, City weren't bringing in Pep Guardiola because they're trying to build something beautiful. They're trying to win. Everyone wants to win. And I think when you look at Conte and you look at Zidane, they are both winners. So their appointments would make sense just in the kind of uh, in the kind of proviso of wanting to win. What it would mean, Haydar, is that this whole Manchester United philosophy angle, that was what the Glazers are playing on and have done for the last two or three years, they would be admitting that that's gone. But do you know what? Edward Wood is leaving the football club and it would kind of stylistically make sense for them to say, right, yep, yeah, that ends there now. That man has gone on. We're, we're moving that guy out. We don't know what Ole's doing. We're moving him out. And, oh, look, one of the greatest footballers of all time and a three-time winner of the Champions League who's available, who knows Cristiano Ronaldo, and knows Varane, and knows Paul Pogba, is available. Let's hire him. That does not go beyond the, the kind of realms of reality. I think that could very well happen if Ole doesn't get it right in the next two months. I want to ask a quick question before we wrap up, Rob, about Antonio Conte, because... Um, you've seen that you know he has he has walked out of Inter because he didn't feel like they matched his ambitions. The question is, do Manchester United match his ambitions as a club? You can't say over the past uh, let's say decade under Gla under the Glazers that they've they've had the same ambition as say like a Man City or a Brownwich at Chelsea. Do Manchester United as a club match those ambitions of Antonio Conte? Uh, Manchester United has spent over a billion pound on footballers in that time. It's not about ambition, Haydar. It's about recruitment. Their recruitment has been absolutely jive, awful, terrible. So that's why United have failed. So we can sit here and talk about the Glazers negatively because none of us like the Glazers. We all know that they've taken tons of money out of the football club and we all know they've put the club in, in debt and it's disgusting and it's something we will never, ever adhere to. But the fact that Manchester United probably spent more money than any other club except Manchester City shows that there is a level of ambition there. Now, when, when Antonio 
when Antonio Conte, if he was offered the job, that's what he's looking at. He's going, do Man United buy players? Well, the answer to that is yes. Man United have spent £410 million on players for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. So this is not Ole doing it on his own back and kind of like homework on his own, bringing in youth and just taking really bad players and making them good. They've spent a lot of money. But when you spend a lot of money, what do you expect, Haydar? You expect trophies or at least title contention. And I think it's been fair to say in the last two years that Ole's been trying to sort out Mourinho's problems. Now, that, now those have gone. Mourinho's problems are no longer part of Manchester United. Now what we're talking about is tactics. And it could be a case that the board look at the current manager and say, we don't like the tactics. It doesn't work. You're not winning games in the way that we want you to win games. So what's the issue? I think Ole will be given time to fail because I think that's the other side of it. I think he'll be given two, three, four months to go down the line. But I'll tell you this now, United will be talking to these people. United will be talking to Zidane. They'll be talking to Conte and saying, what's your availability like? Would you like to have a conversation with us? Let's go do coffee. Because that's how the football industry works. There's lots of kind of whispers and moans there in the background. That's saying, what they did to Jose, Rob, when, uh, when LVG was here. We, we knew that Jose Mourinho was coming to Manchester United months before Van Gaal got sacked. And during that whole period, people were saying to us in the, in the press, you're wrong. It's impossible. United wouldn't do that. Why would they talk? You know, why would they go over Van Gaal? The issue was that Van Gaal's contract was up. So we knew that they didn't really want to give him another contract. It was over two years with a year option. So United were like, well, it's time to kind of move on. And it was the right decision, I think. I totally agreed with that decision at the time. But now we're at a crossroads with Ole. And there are people who could take his job, who are more experienced, who've got better records of winning and know these players. So you said there, I don't think United would suit Conte. I think it's more the other way around. Does Conte suit United? Well, United want a winner. And they're going to look at the list of winners who are available. And Conte went to Chelsea and stuck it up everyone. Everyone said, you won't do anything at Chelsea. You know, Juventus are not the kind of team you've won. You've won a title in Italy. It's not the same as winning the Premier League. Well, he won the Premier League. He won the FA Cup the following season. And yes, then he left. But I think that was probably to do with Chelsea's dysfunction in the same way that he would still be into Milan if it wasn't for their ownership. Their ownership has been bad. I think that United have got a really good squad this year. I don't think Conte looks at it and says, hmm, can I get Cristiano Ronaldo to score goals? I think he probably could. I think he'd feel good about that. And I think when you look at the other pieces, the Pogba's, um, the Bruno Fernandes's, Luke Shaw's, even Harry Maguire, when Harry Maguire's on form, there are players in that team that you can have a core of to be successful. And this is maybe not what we're seeing from Ole at the moment. I want to see more. I want to see that core dominate games. I want to see players come in and out of the team that show that they're worthy of being Man United players, but I need to see tactics that help those players. And that could be where Ole trips up at the end of the day. And he's got to prove it. He's just got, look, this is what this show is about. Not Ole in, not Ole out. It's hashtag Ole sort it out. Because he yeah. needs to show now in the next two or three months that he can do this. Because if he does not show it, unfortunately, we'll be hugging him, waving goodbye and parting company. Because that is the football business. Football is ruthless, yeah? If you lose, you are gone. Frank Lampard left Chelsea and they loved him there, certainly as much as we love Ole. So I don't think there's anything there that can keep Ole in the job if he starts losing matches and performances are this bad. And they are bad. You know, these performances are, as I said, three or four out of ten, maybe fives now and then. There's nothing that makes me think, yeah, this is going to get better in the next match. 
and there's it's a couple of months, Rob, isn't it? Now it's it's not like it's been it's one not or two long. games. You know, we're, we're looking at but it's been it's been seven games now where United haven't really hit the heights they can, and the quality's there for me. Look, Rob, where I sit, and I, I completely agree with you. But where I sit right now is, you know, I, I've often said just give them to the end of the season. I'm, I'm sick and tired of every, after every single game, Ollie this, Ollie in, Ollie out. Both sides, but the whole argument is just juvenile for me but where i am sitting right now rob he's got such a big run of games coming up now and, and if we don't perform i don't want us to sit here you know if we're out the champions league i'm just saying for example and we're we're behind in the title race you know i don't want us to have another season where we're written off and we spent so much money and we bought in we bought in quality rob serious serious quality i mean you couldn't find a better defensive option to come in than rafael varan ronaldo is an incredible goal scorer jane sancho is one of the best young wingers in uh in the in europe and we we did a podcast on him if no someone hasn't if anyone hasn't seen that go and watch that because in the world in the world he was in the top 98th percentile in terms of creativity in the world and we've seen none of that all he needs to find a way to integrate him the way i sit right now rob is that nearly every game is pretty much a what must win the table i know at the moment looks uh looks decent for manchester united but uh the way we're performing and the way things are going you know the slow trajectory downwards in terms of performances is a concern for me yeah, look, I'm not interested in anything that looks like a hot take, ultimately. I kind of look at this and I'm just looking at the standard of football. And United are not doing the simple stuff. And that has to come from a manager. A manager has to coach it into his players' brains that they have to do certain things. And these things are not happening on a football pitch. So the question has to always be, why? And I think it's important as fans, and certainly also my role as a journalist, that we ask these questions repeatedly, not in a way that's regressive to hurt Ole or to insult him or kind of, you know, uh, take the mick out of him or what, what we talk about on Twitter and how, how the Twitterverse works in this horrible, you know, kind of backwards, toxic way. We're asking this in a constructive way. We're saying, right, what are you going to do to fix it? Well, Ollie's not going to say it out loud, but we're supposed to see it, Haydar. We're supposed to see it in games. I said yesterday, stood at Old Trafford talking to a load of fans. What do I want to see today against Aston Villa? I want to see United come out the blocks, the first 20 minutes show that they meant business, and in the first half, make Aston Villa feel in insignificant. And what I meant by that is that Villa turn up and they go, we're not as good as this lot, so we're going to lose this game and we accept it and we'll go home with our tail between our legs. What happened was the opposite. Man United kind of showed that they're dysfunctional. It's the same issues we've seen before. United have got Ronaldo on a pitch, Bruno Fernandes on a football pitch. Jadon Sancho doesn't even get on the pitch. And United are not solving simple problems. If you can't solve simple problems, you will get sacked because it, eventually it will reflect in your results and your position in the table. And there are teams in 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 that division at the moment. I think Brighton look better than Man United at the moment. Yo, I look at Brighton. I, I, I look at, today. They could go top today, but I look at Brighton's style of play. And the reason why Brighton are at the top end of the table now, and it might be temporary, you know, it happens with clubs. It's a bit like Bournemouth years ago of Eddie Howe. You, you get your stylistic properties right. You get the performances right and you win a few games. So you, you end up near the top. So Brighton, like you said, could go top. Now, Brighton going top doesn't really mean a lot for Brighton. It will be a proud moment for them. But in football terms, the reason why they're there is because they're getting all of these things right. All the little bits of football that make you good. And you look at Brighton, they might still get relegated. Haydar, but today Potter is getting stuff right there. I'm looking at Ole and I feel the opposite. I'm looking at all the little stuff and I'm thinking, how are you going to solve an issue like Aaron Wamasaka? Why is your centre back, who was really good last year now, not progressing the ball? Why do we look worse with Varane at the back and why are we losing more games? You know, why have you bought Cristiano Ronaldo and getting the ball in the box and scoring goals is becoming a problem? These are right questions to ask. 
you've got Jaden Sancho on the right. Why are you not playing him? You know, Donny van der Beek came to the football club last year. What is the plan for Donny van der Beek? These are all right questions to ask a manager. And, and Rob, valid, clear. valid, valid questions. This is not screaming Oli out. You valid. These are valid questions. And I think people need to people need to understand that who are maybe in the staunch Oli insider. These are valid questions that must be asked. You're the Manchester United manager. You've been backed now. So you need to you need to fix these issues and they're not being fixed. Valid blank canvas questions that you would ask any manager. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't even matter even if it was Fergie going back. You know, this is the whole thing I think people don't actually grasp of. There were times when Fergie didn't play very good football at all at United. It was a long period of not winning. And even in the years when we were winning and say maybe we'd kind of win a title one year and not win it the next, the following year when you came second, we were still asking those questions. We were saying, why is this player not up to scratch? You know, there was a whole period when we bought Rio Ferdinand in 2002 and we bought because for literally 18 months, Man United's back four were making errors like you wouldn't believe that if Twitter was around then, people would have been, you know, throwing themselves, you know, off the Twitter sphere, you know, upset about how that defence was performing. Man United's defence today is better than that defence was back then. So there are all of these points, and I think it's important we keep asking those questions because Ole has to find answers, but they're physical answers, Haydar. We have to see the manifest on a football pitch. And it's just blunt, unfortunately. If he doesn't answer these questions and this team continues to slide in its performances, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will not be Manchester United manager beyond Christmas. There's no doubt about that. He now needs to find results and results will come from better performances. You know, you can get away with bad performances and good results, but I don't see this team doing that now. Like, it's, you know, I said to you before. Rob. It's not sustainable I, to do that. I've said, I've said before, the art of a good team is that when you play bad, you win. Yeah, so you can go on a pitch, play terribly like City do sometimes, but you still win. Liverpool play badly, they still win. So that's a, that's a, a marker of a team and their intentions. I don't see this United team being able to, to sustain bad performances and accruing the correct amount of points. I think if this team continues on this performance trail, you're out the Champions League and you're out the top four. And a manager is then out of a job. So Ole, sort it out. Can't get more uh, comprehensive than that. Guys, look, thank you so much for all your fantastic comments and questions and engagement today. Really appreciate it. We went a little bit over time, obviously, an hour and 20 minutes. But uh, we had a lot to get through. And uh, look, I think myself and Rob sit in the same boat. We're Oli sorted out. So uh, have a great uh, rest of the weekend. And we'll see you after Champions League next week. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network.